Hi, welcome to Tav's Two Cents, show where we talk about finance, business, and achieving success. Today on the show, we have Daniel C. Daniel is the author of Spacemaker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly. Spacemaker won Personal Development Book of the Year at the Australian Business Book Awards in 2021 and was a finalist for the Best Technology Book. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Tab's Two Cents, the show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success. Daniel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Uh, I really wanted to get you on because I think a lot of my listeners, we, we generally focus on investing and finance, but a large part of that is productivity too and time management. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your book, Spacemaker, a little bit about productivity and how the business world can mesh with the personal world. Mm, no, thanks. Good question. So I, look, as I said, I, I work in a, I work as a productivity consultant. Uh, I do time management training and coaching of executives and strength coaching. So for me, productivity is all about uh, helping someone discover their why and being intentional in how they shape their lives as a whole, whether that be finances or time or relationships uh, and, and being intentional about who you are and where you want to head and therefore creating habits and practices around being productive, uh, shaping your habits according to your values. So that's that's basically what I do as a productivity consultant. And in terms of my book, as you asked, uh, Spacemaker, that came out of my experience with coaching leaders and executives around the world and realizing that one of the huge blockages to productivity and to being effective and, and really living the life that people want to live according to their values is uh, overload that we have with the online world. and. You know, technology is amazing and I love living this in this age of miracles where, you know, things that we couldn't even imagine 10 years ago are just daily practice now. So we need to live in the online world and use technology to its best effect. But we're experiencing post-COVID this almost reaction where people are on, online so much, it's almost as if our new reality is digital and then we have to think about how to live offline. And that has big consequences for how we live, how we work, uh, consequences for our health, our happiness, our mental health. And so the book is really about reframing our understanding of productivity and technology, rethinking how we relate to the online world, and then very practically shaping uh, some or embedding some practices to unplug day by day to live and think and, and be our best selves. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's definitely during COVID, I noticed myself included that I'm on my phone more I'm reading about the latest you know case count I'm reading about what the latest news is and now you know we've got the stuff going on with Russia and Ukraine which is obviously demanding a lot of my attention as well so with that being said it, me myself being somebody who likes to keep up with events around the world what would you suggest for somebody who finds themselves looking at these news articles very often yeah, look, I mean, I think there's, with all things online, I mean, whether it be social media or watching the news or checking your email or looking at the stock market, I mean, all these things have some positive, uh, there's a positivity, there's some value in these things, but when you overload it, when you overcook it, that's where it becomes unhelpful. Unhel so for me, I, I, I'm like you, I'm interested in global events. Uh, I'm passionate about politics. And so what I noticed is that if, you know, it's important to keep up, but actually a lot of the keeping up actually is just gossip. It's just me entertaining my mind. I can't do anything about it. Uh, and so I've, I've made, I made a rule for myself. I don't start with the news. I don't wake up and listen to the news. 
You know, I don't wake up listening to bad news or hearing about other people's ideas. Uh, I've actually limited the amount of time I'm allowed to scan the news on my phone. So I, I give myself, you know, actually five minutes now. I've made it pretty ruthless. I've got five minutes to see what's actually happened around the world. And in that time, I get the gist of what's happening. Uh, if I really want to read an article in more depth, I'll give myself more time, but I have to kind of plug in my code. <laughs> and it just means that I'm, I'm seeing what's out there. But look, as a dad of three kids, uh, I'm a community leader, I'm an author, I'm a business owner. Uh, when I think about the things that really matter to me, spending more than five, 10 minutes a day checking out what's happening in the Ukraine isn't my highest value now. And so therefore I limit myself. Yeah, so you just kind of bring the scope of what you're focusing on down to the things that you found to be most important. Yeah, and it flexes. I mean, my, my point, I suppose, even in the book is, who, who do you want to be? What do you value? And, and, what, and if you multiply the effect of the little habits that you do again and again, well, then what type of life do you live? And so every yes, as James Clear, who's a well-known habits author, you know, he says every yes is actually a, a cascade of no's. So if I say yes to an hour of scanning my news uh, every day, well, that's, that's an hour out of my life. And uh, there are things that I won't do. I won't be able to chainsaw wood and look after my chickens. I won't be able to play board games with my kids or, or read a, a really good book. You know, that hour disappears from somewhere because I'm a finite being. So it's not so much about not wanting to watch the news. It's about saying yes or probably saying no for a greater yes. Again, that's a Stephen Covey term from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but it's it's about being clear about your limits for the for the life you want to live. Yeah, and I know that you, just from what I've seen, you're really big on small victories, which can lead to longer victories, which can lead to even longer victories, like maybe a, you know, a daily goal that transitions into a weekly goal, which then transitions to a monthly and a yearly goal. And it's, it's almost like... Um, you know, when you play a, a game or something and they give you all those little mini missions, but you can do that in your own life. Um, I wonder if you had some tips for people for daily, weekly, monthly, annually goals. Yeah, look, absolutely. And my, my whole book is really about how do you do that? Do you mind if I step back and give a bit of a framework so people understand why those goals play out absolutely. Uh, before I share those goals? And the reason I say that is uh, in coaching people, what I've realized is I can give them tips and tricks about how to make little gaps or pauses in their life away from technology in order to help them become happier and healthier and more productive. And those tips are ridiculously simple. You know, things like book your holidays in advance at the beginning of the year before you book your work. Uh, like don't start an end or book in your day with the phone or with the internet. Start with your own thoughts or conversations or reflections. Uh, you know, have a digital free meal every day, which the research says is fantastic. So there's all these tips I can give you, but they won't last. And most people can't disconnect from their phones on a regular basis and sustain this because of our paradigm, because of our relationship with the online world. So if we can't understand that, then it's really hard to shift our behaviors. Uh, from a psychology point of view, human behavior is always uh, at the end of the assembly line of the beliefs and stories that we tell ourselves. And therefore you have to understand the relationship with technology before you can simply unplug for let's say a day a week or an hour a day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, in terms of productivity, uh, imagine an upside down curve. So it's like an upside down U, okay? Cause I originally started to ask the question, 
how do how does technology relate to productivity? Because it's a really important question. And and uh, what I found is most people consider the relationship to be linear, which means if you have more tools, more apps, you know, more more devices and integrate them well. Uh, the more productivity, the more technology you have, the more productive you'll be. So it's this kind of straight line from top to bottom. But the research doesn't show that, uh, and neither does my experience. And so then I started to imagine, well, actually, there has to be a plateau where more technology doesn't mean more productivity. Uh, obviously, you need to use tech to be productive. But if you um, end up spending, you know, nine hours on a screen, which is the average, I think, for an American, uh, an office worker in America, I think, spends 11 hours on average in front of a screen, and I think three or four of that is on a phone. So if you're spending more and more and more time online and it dominates almost every waking hour, well, then where where do you stop being productive? And uh, and not only do you end up plateauing, you end up going down the opposite side of the curve where you start to get anxious and distracted, you, you feel busy, you can't have silence and solitude, you have distracted thoughts. Uh, and we're seeing all these symptoms in the mental health realm. We're seeing these symptoms in the lack of productivity where people are busy and distracted, uh, but not achieving what they need to. And so the problem is post COVID, all of culture has slid into that right side of the curve where we've gone past the productive middle. And actually we've started to become unproductive because of technology. Does that make sense? And so the trick yeah. is we all have to be great at technology, like we need tech skills and tech savvy on the left side of the curve, but we also need what I call habits of space making on the right, which are habits where we deliber deliberately pull back from our digital overuse, where we pull back from our digital addictions by unplugging and having more intentional spaces where, we, where we're not constantly on a screen. And that's not to reject technology, that's the assumption that we're almost always on a screen and if we want to be really happy, really productive, and relate really well to people, we have to actually have the habits of space making. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense because I know I find with myself, I could start on my phone doing something productive. Like I've got a budgeting app, for example. Maybe I start on the budgeting app, get that done, but then I stay on my phone and then I start, you know, leaning into different things that are maybe aren't quite as productive. So I think. Would it make sense to say that some tasks should be done not on a screen? Like maybe perhaps I buy a newspaper instead of reading the news on my phone. Yeah, look, it's really about awareness. Uh, it's about awareness so that you make a considered decision day by day. Look, it's, it might be easier on a screen, but is that is that the outcome I want? Uh, so again, um, Jean Twenge, who's a generational researcher in the States, she looked at the four longest, uh, largest longitudinal studies in terms of generational data for young people. And what she discovered, you know, she's got this great book called iGen, but this quote really stood out to me that uh, she found in the data that every activity on a screen uh, lead, is, is linked with less happiness if you sustain it over time. And every activity related to not being on a screen is linked to happiness. Okay, so we really have, have to grasp this. So when people spend time in face-to-face -face relationships, when they hang out at a club, when they have a coffee in front of a person, you know, when we do old-fashioned life in community together, the results of that on our mental health and happiness are incredible. In fact, um, people who have close relationships live longer, they fight cancer better, um, they're, they're healthier mentally, they're happier spiritually. Like the effects of being in community are incredible, but um, social media communities, 
where your relationships are primarily mediated digitally don't provide that same outcome at all. In fact, the research is trending to show that if you spend more than a few hours on Facebook and Instagram every day, you'll actually feel more lonely, more left out, more sad. And, um, and so uh, I've gone in a different direction there from what you asked. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is technology is really important, uh, but we just have to think about uh, is it the best use of, should we do this through technology? You know, that's why I read paper books, even though they're a pain and you have to carry them around. And I do love Kindle for some things, but I still, I still read a paper book because for me there's a texture to it and it is actually a different experience. Uh, sometimes I'll actually deliberately do things that are slower or more difficult because they're offline, again, because it actually changes the experience. So I, I, I agree with your, the premise of your question. Yeah, and you've actually talked about how digital screens can affect your brain and actually alter your brain and your brain and the neuroplasticity mm. in your brain. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's really important to realize. So uh, I used to be a physiotherapist and a physical therapist, I think in the States, uh, different terms in Australia. But uh, I, I remember having a patient come in one day and she had her neck and it was twisted like 30 degrees to the right. And she was like all twisted and walked in like a crab. It was really unusual. And I thought this person's got a terrible problem. And they had had a car crash and whiplash like five, six years before. And uh, they'd never ever been able to straighten the neck properly since then in terms of everyday life. But when I actually assessed her, she didn't have much pain. When I moved her neck uh, passively using my hands, she actually could actually rotate her head left and right and into the center. So there was no physical reason she was walking like she was. And so I got her to close her eyes and look in a mirror and turn left and right. And I said, open your eyes when your head is straight. And she opened her eyes and her head was exactly the same as she walked in 30 degrees, I think to the right. And so that's an example of neuroplasticity. What had happened is because she had been guarding her neck after the accident, her brain, the map in her brain had changed. And so what she thought was straight was actually twisted. Does that make sense? Uh, so for her, the treatment was close your eyes and keep doing it and look at the mirror until you can have an external reference point. And she just had to learn to straighten her neck again and she was absolutely fine. She, she recovered really well. But in terms of neuroplasticity, what it means is that with repetitive habitual behaviors, our brain actually changes. It's physically, it physically changes. Okay. So um, we might hear the expression that neurons that fire together, wire together or wire together, fire together. So, so whenever you do something regularly, you'll strengthen particular pathways in your brain. And if you ignore something for a long time, those pathways will shrink and reduce. Uh, so a classic is when I used to play the piano, a part of my brain would have grown and I could just play automatically but I haven't practiced for 10 years now and all those pieces have disappeared. I, I can't play them anymore, uh, even if I tried. Okay, so my brain had changed one way, then it changed the other way. And the brain is doing this all the time. The challenge with the internet is that we're on the internet nine, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. You imagine what would happen to your brain if you practiced the piano 12 hours a day. Like it wouldn't take long for you to have this incredible music center that changed the way you thought and the way you acted and the way you lived. And the same is happening with the internet when we are online scanning our screens, being shaped by our devices for 10, 12 hours a day, particular parts of our brain are growing really quickly. Uh, other bits are shrinking and dying and it actually changes the way we see the world, which is why most of us can't sit in silence anymore. 
why we need distraction when we're on the loo or when we're at the bus. The idea of standing, I don't know, in the supermarket aisle and just waiting rather than pulling out your phone is an unusual experience. You know, the, the brain has become, uh, it, it has learned to crave constant stimulation. And that's the problem with digital overuse. If you can never learn to switch off, you can't reflect. So you live an external life, not an internal life. You struggle to experience that kind of sense of peace and calm and observation that happens when you just are in silence and looking around you. There's, there's a whole lot of stuff that disappears when we overcook the tools that we use. And, and so part of uh, making space and learning to unplug as a habit is rewiring our brain so that it's not always dependent on a screen. It's a long explanation, but it is a, it's not a complex idea, but it's important for us to grasp because technology is organic, it's not additive. It's not like a hammer which you can use it and then put it down and then say, well, that was the hammer. Uh, it actually, you know, technology is organic. It changes you from the inside out so that you no longer see your tools the way you used to. And it actually does become an extension of yourself. We are becoming, uh, as Elon Musk said, uh, we're all becoming cyborgs. You know, we are computer-mediated people and we need to be aware of that. Yeah, that's always his argument for Neuralink is that we basically are cyborgs already. It's just the phone. We're is... already cyborgs. <laughs> yeah, he said it's not attached to our body, but it is. Most people don't go anywhere without their phones. So, and you have information at the touch of your fingers. And one thing I wonder about is what parts of the brain are dying when you look at the screens and are that. Yeah, that's a good question. That often. I. I must admit, it's been a long time since I've read that research. The anterior, oh, here we are. It's the ACC, the anterior cingulate cortex is one area uh, that, that changes when you continually use screens. Basically, it, it relates to the frontal lobe, which is uh, the area related to mood and, um, and self-control. And so there's a sense where we, we become more impatient. We, we become more emotive and, and, uh, it's like the, the the emotional centers of our brain increase because of that constant visual stimulation and some of the more patient areas reduce. A neuroscientist might say that wasn't a very great explanation, but that's the best that I can do from my memory of anatomy and physiology. I hope that's okay. I think that was a fantastic explanation. I'm a guitar player. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it, it always amazes me that I, I haven't had the same time to practice, but I can still pick up a guitar and I can still play songs much better than somebody who's never played. And what that tells me is that my brain has morphed into this skill set and grown in a way that hasn't gone anywhere for the last probably, as you say, for me, it's very similar, 10 years, I would say, before I've actually done any true practice. And it's still there. So what that tells me is that years and years of looking at screens is going to probably be very hard to fix. Yeah. Look, I mean, the good news is that you can always change your brain, uh, even at an old age. If you change the way you're, you behave, you will change the way you think. So, you know, cognitive science says that our behavior is at the end of the assembly line of, uh, of our thoughts and our beliefs. But at the same time, by reinforcing our particular, particular habits, our thoughts and our beliefs change. So they are all interconnected. So the good news is you can change your brain at any time. But you're right, I think the, the stronger the pathways, the more embedded they are in your life, the harder it is to shift them. And we just don't think, can you imagine if we thought of internet practice like we think of guitar practice? We just don't think of it like that, do we? But that is what we're doing. We are practicing a particular way of living and thinking and acting for the nine or 10 or 12 hours a day. We are practicing the internet. Uh, it's just, we just don't use that language. But from the brain perspective, that's exactly what we're doing. 
and it has consequences. Yeah, we've gotten really good at surfing Instagram. <laughs> yeah, um, and needing it, you know. So yeah. Yeah. So then, what do you suggest? Most people who listen to this show, I'm assuming, have some kind of interest that they would like to focus more on. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the things we could be doing to be more productive for our side businesses, for our actual businesses, or just our life in general. Mm, That's great. So as I said, you've got two types of habits that I'm really passionate about. Uh, On the left hand side of that curve, where more technology makes you more productive, I call them the habits of pace. And I, I just think the habits that have always been around in terms of productivity are still really useful. How do you get your inbox to zero each day? You know, we run training courses on that. Um, how do you, um, you know, organize your schedule using a, an online calendar and be organized with time blocking? Uh, you know, how do you invest in small ways? You know, you're, you're, this is a finance podcast, you know, small investments exponentially increase over time. How do you take your savings and invest them? You know, all those kind of simple habits. How do you use an online to-do list? Uh, does that make sense? So all the, all the basic time management habits to, that make us personally effective are still absolutely critical. Uh, but the, the new set are on the right-hand side of the curve, which I call the space-making habits. And they're the ones where how do I unplug from my technology so that I balance the scorecard of my life so that the times where it's better to be offline that's when I'm offline. So I could give you a few really practical examples if that's helpful. One of the very simple things I love to say is to start and end the day without a phone because the way you start your day mentally and the way you end your day will shape the trajectory of your thoughts. So if you start the day and and you're listening to all the terrible news about Russia and the Ukraine at the moment, well, it actually takes you on a particular journey mentally and it sets your emotions in a particular direction. Uh, I think you're better off not starting with that and actually starting with your own thoughts. For me, I write a thankfulness journal, uh, I pray, uh, I just think about my day and what I actually want to see happen out of my day. So I kind of mentally visualize what matters, maybe thinking about the people I'll meet uh, and and the places I'll go. Uh, And even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes at the start of the day, that's a better way of starting the day. And I can always scan what's happening in the Ukraine, you know, after after my morning coffee. Uh, and similarly, at the end of the day, you know, what if you reflected on the day and actually learned some lessons, you know, examine the data in your life from the day and actually tried to work out what does that mean and how can I reflect and find meaning in the day? Maybe you spend time talking to the partner next to you in bed rather than both playing, I don't know, Candy Crush or scrolling Instagram. Does that make sense? So um, the, the simple way to do that is charge your phone outside your bedroom. Pediatricians almost universally uh, suggest that teenagers charge their phone outside of their bedroom and don't have it at night because otherwise they become insomniacs. I mean, the average in Australia, one in 10 uh, teenagers check their phone 10 times on average through the night and hardly ever sleep. So uh, that's why pediatricians suggest it. But for, for adults, it may not just be about sleep. It's just about mental health. Start and end the day, bookend the day with some space. Does that make sense? Super simple doesn't change the whole trajectory of your life, but those little pockets of space make a difference. Uh, I'm happy to give lots of other tips, but I'm not sure what your listeners would find valuable. Yeah, that's, no, that's great. That's um, definitely something that I've heard before too, because I remember seeing articles where they said, hey, you shouldn't use your phone as an alarm clock. And I was like, I wonder why, you know, of course, being, you know, I'm a late age millennial, I just read the headline and moved on, but I was like, yeah, that's probably a good (laughs) idea. And then I just, you know, what's the next thing? But um, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And uh, 
I think that yeah, so you can still use a device. You can use a Garmin or a Fitbit to to wake you up. Uh, you can even use an old phone, you know, an old smartphone that has no data, no internet, and just remove all the apps, and you can just use it as your alarm clock. But there, you can buy an alarm clock still, like one of those 1980 ones <laughs> that actually just tell the time and ring. You know, they they still exist. They're not expensive. Uh, it's you don't need a supercomputer by your side. Uh, yeah, in order to make it work. Yeah, I think that's great from a personal standpoint. And then while we're talking about tips, what about a uh, similar tip for businesses? Hmm. I think it's a, look, it's a good question. Let me think about that. Uh, so for businesses, I, I think it's really recognizing that you can't be wealthy if you're not healthy. You know, there's a sense where, look, I mean, I've started my own business. I'm an entrepreneur. I know the hours that go into starting a business and how hard it is to get something off the ground from nothing. Uh, and yet what I would say is it's it's important to have the long game in mind when you do. You know, I do love Stephen Covey's work. And uh, he, he said that there's no point climbing the corporate ladder of success. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. There's no point climbing the ladder of success and then finding out 20 years later that the ladder's against the wrong wall. What he means by that is we'll often just look at the next step. You know, how do I get the next client? How do I get that next podcast? How do I reach that next goal? But we don't take the time to step back and think, am I even on the right ladder? And is this what I really want for my life? And if in 20 years I end up with a $5 million super, you know, superannuation portfolio, I can, maybe I can retire at 50. But if that means that I, I need a triple bypass and my kids hate me and I don't have any, you know, my relationship with my, my spouse or my friends is just non-existent, is that wealth? Is that business? Does that make sense? So that's not really business advice, but I do think it's important, again, to make space to lift, lift your eyes regularly and just keep asking the question, is the ladder against the right wall? Uh, I need to chase that next, that next goal, that next KPI, but at the same time, just make sure that you're thinking, how does this relate to my wealth and health as a whole? You know, am I investing in my mind, in my relationships? Uh, Am I investing in my spirituality? Am I investing in my physical health as and mental health, even as I pursue financial wealth and, and business success? And I think if you do that, if you have that capacity to just pause and create a few little habits along the way that balance the scorecard and make sure that you come before your business, even as you grow a business, you'll end up with a business that is both successful, sustainable, and actually a business you probably love in the end. I've seen so many successful business people who hate their business because they gave, they sacrificed everything to get there and that's not worth it. So um, my advice is, yeah, take the long game and uh, make space to reflect on where you're heading and why you're doing it. Put habits of self in from the beginning, uh, even as you do the small habits to create a successful entrepreneurial business. Absolutely. I think that's great advice, both for a business and also from a career development point of view. Um, with that being said, I'm going to have to buy this book. I'm going to get the paper copy. <laughs> I'll have to make Perfect. sure to, I love the paper uh, copy. Yeah. I'll have to make sure to not get the Kindle. So, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I can see why your books got all these awards and, uh, yeah, just thanks for coming out and all the best. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show, so do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you.